The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. From the first book of Peter, first chapter, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he, who called, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be invited to be seated. Well, happy uh, New Year's, everybody. Can you believe that it is 2019 already? Is that not crazy? Like 1999 was 20 years ago. (laughs) I don't know why you're happy about that, but congratulations. Um, (laughs) You know, I want to ask a question. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions this year? All right, very few of you have goals. That's good to know. I actually did not make any uh, resolutions, but I'll tell you what I've loved this year. I loved being on social media and singing some really, really humorous um, New Year's resolutions. And I have a kind of heavy sermon today, so I thought it might be good to start with a little bit of humor uh, just to uh, share some of these and share some of these uh, resolutions with you. So here we go. Here's one. Laugh even if you don't think it's funny to make me feel good. All right? Warning. My, here's one lady, she writes this, my New Year's resolution is to eat less spiders in my sleep, right? A husband writes, my wife asked me what my New Year's resolution is going to be. I shrugged. My wife said that her New Year's resolution is for her to eat clean, which means she's decided that my New Year's resolution is also going to be that I eat clean. And husband said, husband said, amen. All right. Here's another one. This had to be written in Kentucky. My uh, New Year's resolution is to convince as many people as possible that hillbilly is short for Mountain William. Here's one that if you... I love it. I think we should all just get on board with that, right? My New Year's resolution is to never find out what Bird Box is. Come on, somebody. There you go. One more. I love this. My resolution for 2019 is to refer to myself less often as trash and more often as recycling because at least my nonsense is eco-friendly and sustainable. <laughs> I like it. Well, you know, one of the, uh, it's, it's kind of common knowledge that today that one of the common um, one of the really helpful ways to stay with a resolution or to stay with any commitment is to clearly define what your why is. Can I have a little less mic sound guy wherever you are? Thank you. 
you've got to clearly define your why. All right? Because if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, you will not stick with it. Let me give you an example. Like a lot of people at the beginning of the year, their aim is to eat healthier. Right? Now, we live in an area where everything is fried and everything is in a casserole and everything is loaded with sugar. So if you do not know your why and your aim is to eat healthy, friend, you will not make it three days without Twinkies and L8s. Come on. Am I preaching? So you've got to define your why. So if, that is your, uh, if that's your aim is to, hey, I want to eat healthier, listen, you've got to define that why. It might be that you want to have more energy uh, to spend with your kids or your grandchildren. It, it may be that you simply want to lose weight. It might be that you want to sleep better, that you know, our, what we eat affects that. Or it could be spiritual. Maybe you have an addiction to food and you say, Lord, I want this addiction broken. Or perhaps you realize your body is, in fact, a temple of the Holy Spirit and you just want to give God your best. Now, all of these, and we could list so many more, are great reasons for making a resolution to eat healthier this year, right? And with you clarifying the reason and you writing that on a post-it note and, and putting it on your fridge, your bathroom mirror, your car dashboard, like you, uh, your chances of success are much greater. Like I think you'll be able to do this. So that's really important to, to realize and it's helpful for what I'm about to talk about today. We are in a journey through 1 Peter, which is a letter that is written to first century Jews who are dispersed throughout the Roman provinces of Asia Minor. And uh, they feel as misfits in this world. Here they are. They're trying to live Christian lives, and they are living in very pagan communities. Have you ever felt like a misfit as a Christian at work, in your community? And this is what they're feeling. So in our text today, Peter reminds them of their call to live holy lives. I know that's a churchy word. It simply means to be set apart. Holy means to be set apart for God's glory. All right? They're called to live holy lives in a very pagan world, and that's very difficult. And here's what I love about this text. Peter does not just give them a command, but he also gives them three compelling whys or motivations that help them make this their aim and help them commit to this aim of living holy lives. So most of us know that our lives should look extremely different than the world around us. But there is this tension. We know this, but there's a tension. We like to fit in. How many like to fit in? I'm going to tell you my biggest, one of my biggest weaknesses today. You ready for this? I want you to like me. All right? So please like me, all right? <laughs> I, I like to be liked. I don't like to be ostracized. I don't like to feel like I'm by myself. I don't like to be judged. I don't like to be condemned. I want to fit in. I don't want to be an outcast. Yet, as a Christian, we are called to live in a way that is congruent with the Scriptures. And by the way, that means that we're living a lot differently than the secular post-Christian world around us. So we're going to feel this. We're going to feel like misfits. So 
I want to quickly look at three parts of this text because we're called in the midst of this world to live holy lives. Number one, I want to look at what does this call to be holy look like? I'm going to unpack what holiness is supposed to look like very practically in the life of a believer. Number two, why should we seek to live holy lives? And number three, how can we live holy lives? So that's where we're going, and uh, let's begin, number one, with what does this call to be holy, in fact, look like? When we think of holiness, we immediately think of behavior, and certainly that is a part of being holy, and we're going to get to that. But Peter doesn't start with, uh, with, with behavior. He actually starts, number one, with belief. So we're called to have different beliefs, a different moral framework than the world around us. Look at verse 13 with me. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter begins this section with the word, therefore, which points us to the previous text. And as we saw last week, much of the previous section is spent reminding these believers of their heavenly inheritance, their future salvation, the soon return of the Lord. And at the end of verse 13, Peter says now, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's telling these believers to long for, to desire, and to hope in Jesus' imminent return. To hope in Christ, which means this, those who walk in holiness, we do not long, we are not to long for the same things that the world is longing for. We are to long for Christ in his return. He is to be our treasure. I want to go back to the New Year's resolutions for just a moment. I noticed something this past week as I saw several of my friends' resolutions online. Let me tell you what I noticed. It's this, that we Christians seem to be chasing, by and large, the same things that the world is chasing. Namely, the American dream, money, success, good looks, power, so on and so forth. Now, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy any measure of those things on this earth. And I'm not saying we have to over-spiritualize everything. But what I am saying in this is this. I fear that we are chasing things that we ought not be chasing I fear that we treasure the same things that the world treasures. Material goods, possessions. Again, the American dream. Let me ask you this. Is it really hunger and thirst? A hunger and thirst for righteousness that you are longing for? Or is it a hunger and thirst for the things of this world? Is it a longing for Christ's return that you're longing for? Is it an anticipation of your heavenly inheritance? Or is it for an earthly inheritance? Is, what, is what's driving you, is it a comfortable house or a comfortable life, a nice house, a, a fancy vehicle? Is, are those the things that have your heart? What is it that we're chasing? You know, there's an old saying that says this. It says that we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. How many have ever heard that? That's not the issue today. You know what the problem is today? 
we're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. Let that sink in a moment. Our desires, friends, ought to be different than those of unbelievers. And Peter moves on in verse 13, and he compels these Christians, he says, to be sober-minded. In other words, they have got to think clearly. Listen, we Christians must think differently than the world. Don't buy into post-modern ways of thinking. Don't do it. Okay, it is easy if, if you're in the workplace and you work, you know, for a secular company and you, you know, are, are, are in a, a really secular community, or neighborhood, whatever. It is easy to start thinking like them. And Peter is, is telling these, compelling these Christians, these first century Gentile Christians, he's saying, listen, don't think like the pagan Gentiles in these Roman provinces. Remember, you're a citizen of heaven and you need to think like a Christian, like a citizen of heaven. And he tells them, be sober-minded. Now, I could go many places here, but let me just give you one example that we've got to, we've got to guard from this. Postmodern thought claims that morals are relative. In other words, it, it, it's subjective. There is no absolute truth, no absolute right or wrong. And if there is no God, I would agree with that because who, who can say what is right, who is wrong, if there's no higher divine law. Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from Birmingham jail poses this question. He says, how do we determine if a law is just or unjust? And here's what he says. He says, a just law is a man-made code, watch this, that squares with the law of God. The implication being this, if there's no God, we cannot say if something is just or unjust. But if, in fact, there is a God, and there is, then there, there are absolutes. There is objective good and objective evil. There is objective right, and there is objective, objective wrong. So if we truly serve God, we are real followers of Jesus, friends, we cannot buy in to the world's way of thinking. And you know what? This has crept, this idea of postmodern thinking is creeping into the church today. There's people that, that are thinking just like this. They think, oh, you know what? Maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe the Bible isn't really relevant for us today. That is dangerous thinking. So Peter says we must be sober-minded. Now, the great thing about having the right belief is this, that it tends to lend itself to right behavior. Right thinking leads to right action. So number two, the call to be holy includes different behaviors. He says this, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Watch this, in all of your conduct. So this isn't just, holiness is not just some concept for our minds, no, it's very practical. It has implications for the way in which we live our lives. Now, Peter is calling these believers, again, in very pagan culture, to live according to the Scriptures. Now, he does something incredible here. 
There, there's a popular way of thinking in, in some churches today. We call this hyper-grace, and it goes something like this, that if, in fact, we are under the new covenant, which is we call it the covenant of grace, and we are, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works, then they say, actually, it doesn't matter what we do, how we live. God's not really concerned with that. And you don't have to worry. You know, there, there's no issues. Just live like you want as long as you believe in Christ. Friends, that's not in the Bible. Okay, and I love what Peter does. He, he does something fascinating here. Watch this. He disarms those who would make that claim that this is Old Testament, Old Covenant, by quoting Leviticus. When he implores Christians to be holy in their conduct, he's quoting the book of Le- Leviticus, which is Old Testament. So you cannot say, oh, you know what? This is an Old Testament call. You can't say, oh, this is old covenant. We're under the covenant of grace. No, we're still called. Yes, we're under the covenant of grace, but we are called to conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Now, before I move on, I want to say one more thing here. Holiness is not just about belief. It is actually not just about belief and behavior. It is actually about belief, behavior, and belonging. It's about belonging because here's why this is important. If we stop with behavior, you know what we become? Legalist and moralist. And moralism is not Christianity. This is what a lot of people are, you know, this is how religious people live their lives. They're trying to get their God to, to God by just keeping the rules. You know what? I don't really want to, but I'm just going to try to obey and, and hope that I can somehow make it to God. That's not enough. This is about belonging, not just following rules. Verse 15 says that we are to be holy in our conduct. Now, you know what the word holy means? It simply means to be set apart. So when we talk in the Bible uh, about the biblical truth of being holy, what we mean is this. We as Christians need to be set apart from the world and set apart unto the Lord for his purposes. It's about being reconciled to God through Christ and thus yielding ourselves to him for his good purposes and glory. And this is why this is important. It's not enough just to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do my own thing, like chase my own dreams, but I'm just going to try to be really good. Like I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to get drunk. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do these bad things, but kind of still go in your own way. That's not holiness. Holiness is to be set apart, meaning you completely yield yourself to God and say, Lord, here am I. I am yours. There's a great example of this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. The apostle Paul writing says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul doesn't say here, oh, you know what? I'm just trying to keep the rules now that I'm a Christian. Oh, he wants to follow God's law. But here's what he's saying. Lord, it's beyond that. This is not my life anymore. It is yours. This is the essence of true Christianity. It's about yielding ourselves through, by faith totally to the purposes and good pleasures of Jesus Christ. To be holy is to be fully His. And let me ask you, are you walking in holiness? 
Now, this is no easy feat to walk in this manner while we are in this world. We want to fit in. We don't want to feel ostracized. So we've got to know our why. Amen? We've got to know our why. So Peter gives us three very compelling reasons to walk in holiness. Number one, he appeals to our calling. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Watch this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Now what? This, this, is, this is interesting. Peter does not say, be really good so God will call you. See, that's what the world thinks. That's what religion says. If I can really clean myself up, then perhaps God will call me. He'll accept me into his family. No, you can never get in that way because you can't be good enough. He calls you, and then he cleans you up, right? So here, here's the difference between religion and the gospel. Don't miss this. Religion says, I will do good so God accepts me. The gospel says, he accepts me, so I will do good. Right, one more time. Religion says, I will do good, so God will accept me. But the gospel, the true good news of Jesus Christ says this, he accepts me as I am, so I will do good. So why should you walk in holiness? Well, the Holy Spirit through Peter first appeals to our calling, but then he moves on here. Next, appeals, Peter appeals to the judgment of God. All right? Verse 17, and if you call on him as fa the father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, your time on this earth. Now, most likely, Peter here has two aspects of God's judgment in mind. There is a present-day judgment for the people of God, and here's what I mean. When we sin... Out of great love, the Lord chastises or disciplines us. And you ought to be thankful for that. It's his kindness, out of his kindness, that he disciplines us, that it might lead us to repentance. And let me just say, if you've never been disciplined by the Lord, I'm sure you have. I've been there many times. You don't want to go there. All right? But Peter also probably has in mind another judgment at the end of the age when we will all stand before Christ and give an account for our lives. We need to think about these things. Now, if you're a parent, like you understand Peter's reasoning here, all right? Because if, if you have children, here's what you say. When you want them to obey, here's where you start. I'm the parent, the mother, the father. You're the child. Just do it. Don't you wish that was enough? Yeah, right? See, come on, somebody. You feel me? So I'm glad my kids aren't the only one, you know, that, that, that don't always obey that just because of that reasoning. Peter moves on to something else that we as parents know, judgment. Come on, parents, don't act like you don't judge, right? Don't act like you don't discipline. Postmodern people, you know. Yeah. No, he moves to judgment. And we get this because here's what it is. If they don't obey just because by virtue of you being the parent, you say, Whatever your method of punishment is, you're going to get it, right, if you don't listen. For me, here's what that sounded like as a kid. If you do not listen to me, I will get the wooden spoon. How many know what the wooden spoon is? Come on, somebody. 
I still have nightmares. Listen, some of y'all dream about, you know, have nightmares about monsters and goblins and these kind of things. Not me. It's a five-foot lady chasing me around the house with a wooden spoon. So Peter is saying, listen, <laughs> to these believers, he's saying, listen, you're God's children. He's the Father. Just obey him. And just in case you don't, he will get the wooden spoon. Come on, somebody. Right? Don't put that on Facebook, please. God will get the wooden spoon. <laughs> he moves on to one more motivation, one more why. And in all seriousness, this is the most compelling reason to walk in holiness. And I hope this just pierces your heart today. It's gratitude. Gratitude. I want you to really think through verse 18 with me in 19. Knowing that you were ransomed. So he's calling them to be holy, and here's a reason. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but watch this, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Those who do not know Christ, they are bound by sin, separated from God under his wrath. But those of us who are in Christ through faith, we've been ransomed. We've been ransomed. We've been redeemed. We've been healed. We've been delivered. We've been set free. And are you grateful that whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Oh, friends, we are free. Free from what? Free from the wrath of God. Free from the bondage of sin. We're not bound by generational curses anymore. You ought to thank the Lord for that. We are truly free in Christ. And Jesus went to great lengths to make this happen. He went to infinite lengths to make this happen Christ was the perfect sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for us. Let me just ask you, let that, I know we sing about it, we hear it all the time. He gave his life for you that you might be free, that you might know the Father. And if you believe that, if I believe this, how in the world could we not give him everything? How in the world could we not lay down our lives for him? It's not payback. We could never pay him back. It's just love and gratitude. If we deliberately go on our own, our own way, we deliberately walk in ways that are not pleasing to the Lord, walk in sin, you know what we're doing? We are trampling the blood of Christ. That's the motivation. That's the ultimate motivation to walk in holiness. You cannot stop with consequences or you'll never be free from sin. You can't stop with it. Let me tell you why. If your motivation is I don't want God to get the wooden spoon, if that is your motivation, if I don't, I don't want his judgment, here, here's what will happen. When you sin, you will have consequences and you will be sorry 
but not sorry because you've broken the heart of God, not sorry because you've trampled the blood of Christ, but sorry that your life is like it is right now because you're under the discipline of God. You don't want the consequences. So here's what that means. You'll be sorry and you'll repent and you will stop that sin until things get back to normal. And if consequences, judgment is your only motivation, you know what? Then you'll go right back to it. Don't stop at consequences. Oh, you, we need to remember that there are consequences when we do not follow the Lord. But don't stop there. May we be motivated to follow Christ in this wicked world because He has loved us so much and He's gone to infinite lengths to free us. That's our motivation. Finally, how do we walk in holiness? How is it that we walk in holiness? Number one, you need to know this. It's by the power of God. He's not asking you to do something that he has not equipped you to do. You cannot live a holy life. Get, get this. You cannot live a holy life without knowing Christ, without being made right with God, without being what we call born again, born by the Spirit of God. You cannot, you cannot do it. It starts with a relationship with God, putting our faith in Him. And when we do that, here's what happens. This is great news. You know what He gives us? He gives us His Spirit. When we become Christians, when we are born again, here's what happens. He gives us His Spirit, His Holy Spirit. And if you go to the top of 1 Peter chapter 1, here's what you'll find. He actually mentions this. He says that we have this, it's the Spirit who sanctifies us, which means He sets us apart. He's the one who makes us holy and helps us walk in holiness. He says He sanctifies us for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful picture. So He's asking you to be holy, but He hasn't left you alone in this. He's given you His Spirit to help you. And as we walk by the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul says, we will not fulfill the desires of our flesh or our sinful nature. But there's one more thing I want to talk about. We have one other help, at least, in our aim to walk for, in holiness. This absolutely changed my life about six years ago. Listen, I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. And even while I've been in ministry almost 20 years, and through even my ministry, there are certain sins that I have so struggled with. And I'm not saying the temptation's not there anymore. We still, I'm still tempted. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I still struggle just like you. But here's what I am saying. There was a time in my life that I walked um, through this life in so much frustration because I grew up on what I call white-knuckle preaching, which goes something like this. You better not do this or God's going to get you. It's like the preacher standing at the back of the door burning you with a lighter on the way out saying, you don't want that for eternity, do you? Right? That'll compel you, right, for a minute. How many grew up on that kind of preaching? You better not, you better not, you better not, right? It's like Jesus is Santa Claus just waiting to put you on the naughty list, right? And again, I'm not saying that we can't think there are consequences to sin. But I just, here, here's what that produces. It produces us just trying to be better, just trying to be better. But let me tell you what, what happened to me. I came upon a, a pastor by the name of John Piper, and his teachings absolutely 
uh, changed my life. I read a book by him um, called Desiring God. This was pivotal for me in my theology and also just my ability to overcome some things that I've been struggling with a long time. And here's the, the essence of what he is saying. He, he calls himself a Christian hedonist, meaning this. We are not supposed to go through this life as miserable people. As miserable. Now, we will suffer. We talked about that. We have bad things happen to us. We're not immune to those things. But here's what the teaching is. It comes right from the Bible, that God is enough in all of that. And, and here's what this is. We actually, here, here's a key to overcoming some sins. It's to be satisfied in Christ, which means he becomes the treasure of my heart. That's why you hear this from this pulpit so much. So we're to treasure Christ above all things. I don't want you just to believe intellectually in Christ. My goal is to have you treasure him above all things. Now, what does this have to do with sin? I'll tell you. When you are not satisfied in Christ, when he is not your treasure, when you do not enjoy Christ, here's what happens. There is a hole in your heart. Because we are made for the pursuit of happiness. We all want to be happy. We're after the blessed life. And so when we're not happy in Christ, here's, what's hap- here's what happens. We'll search everywhere else for happiness, even as Christians. And here's what was happening. I was a Christian. I would say that I love Christ, but I was not satisfied in him because I wasn't taught to, oh, enjoy him and to treasure him to where I could come to the place where I say, oh, I count everything else but loss according to what I've gained in Christ Jesus. I didn't enjoy him in that way. And then I got a hold of this teaching, and it revolutionized my life. So here's the key. Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Let your joy come from Christ. And when that happens, you will not need a quote-unquote vice. I don't have to go get plastered on the weekends. Why? Because I'm satisfied in Christ. I don't have to go out on my wife because I'm satisfied in Christ. I don't have to shoot up because I'm satisfied in Christ. He's enough. He is enough. I don't have to log onto the computer and look at things that I shouldn't look at for a quick thrill. Why? Because Christ is enough. So I don't long for these things. I'm not telling you that I'm perfect. I'm not. I still struggle. But I'm saying, this is my battle against sin. This is my weapon against sin. It's joy in the Lord. I'm so happy this morning, I can't stand it. It's not because things are perfect in my life either. It's because of Christ. So learn to savor Jesus. In closing, let me just say that, praise team, you can come. Through Christ's sacrifice, we have a hope that is absolutely unshakable. The way to fight sin and to love holiness is to treasure him above all things. And here's what I would ask of you. I want you to do something today. Evaluate your life. Okay, give me your attention for just one more minute here. Evaluate your life. Here's what I want you to to ask yourself and be very honest. What is driving you? Let me ask you a better question. What would other people around you say is driving you what would they say would they say oh this is somebody who treasures Christ or would they say this is somebody who really wants money but goes to church on the weekends what would they say is the desire of your heart 
Let me ask you this. How different does your life look from the secular world around you? Perhaps you've drifted. You've been influenced by the world. And what a great time of year to come back and say, Oh, Lord, I, I want to get back on this path. I want to walk in holiness. Remember, holiness is not just behaving a certain way. It's today making a decision to say, Lord, I am yours. You call me to go to Africa tomorrow, I'll sell everything that I have. I'll go. Gladly do it because you're my treasure. Whatever it is you want me to do, Lord, I am yours. Here's the goal for our church in 2019, some of the goals. Number one here, I pray what I just talked about, that our affections throughout the year, week by week, day by day, hour by hour, that our affections would be raised for Christ. So that we don't just know more about Him, that we learn to enjoy Him existentially, that we enjoy the Lord. How many just want to enjoy the Lord more? I, I want your affections to be raised for Jesus. That's the pathway to this happening. Number two, I pray that we would live as citizens of heaven, not citizens of Madison County or Clark County or Fayette County, wherever you're from. Next, may we spend, this has been on my heart, may we spend and be spent for the good of others and the glory of God. Say that one more time. May we spend and be spent for the glory of God and the good of others. And finally, may we look more like Jesus and less like the world. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.